Don't forget. Remember. Remember. He said this would happen. He told me they would dress me and take me where I didn't want to go. It's going to be okay. <laughs> There's always living hope. Our inheritance is worth it. His promises. Oh, his precious promises. A new heaven and a new earth. Life together as family forever. He's coming back with glory, with his holy angels to judge the world. And everything that's not part of his eternal kingdom will be burned up. <laughs> oh, if only you remember. He promised. He promised. He's good. Remember the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled? Remember the prophecies that he made? So many good prophecies, and they're all true. No matter what happens, if you know him, you have everything you need to do his will. If you don't know him, look at what he's done. He loves us. He made us. He saves us and forgives us so we can be his friends. Oh, There's no way not to love him if you've looked at him. Like the serpent that Moses lifted up in the wilderness. Oh, come on. I'm following him. That's what he told us to do. He took his cross and he went to his crucifixion. I'm not worthy of dying like he did. I've asked him to hang me upside down. <laughs> Don't forget. Don't forget! Okay, okay. And he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own. Well, I hope you kids got a little entertainment out of that if there was no other value to it. Uh, I'm glad you're here with us today, kids because we're starting a new series on 2 Peter. Can somebody see my remote? Here it is. 2 Peter, called Escaping Corruption. Escaping Corruption. Thought that might be a good title for our political moment in Brazil. And we need to meet Peter. We need to know who wrote this. So I thought, well, let's have Peter come to church and visit. I can't wait to meet Peter for real in heaven and see how accurate I was. I, I'm sure he'll have some pointers. Uh, this man, Peter, what a man. Uh, the, the, the title I wanted to point out comes from 2 Peter 1.4, which says, He has granted to us his precious and very great promises. You'll remember that Peter was mentioning those here. So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. But today, we're going to go back to John, one of Peter's best friends and one of Jesus' best friends. Young John from Bethsaida in the Galilee area, 
a fisherman, son of a fisherman, wrote a story in John 21 that you heard Brother Glenn read just a few minutes ago. And we're going to look at this second call of Peter and listen to the question of Jesus, do you love me? Do you love me? I've been listening to Jesus ask me that this week. Do you love me? The greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And as we begin a new year, let's refocus on what is important, the greatest commandment. And I believe the greatest blessing is in this question and the answer that you give to it. Do you love me? John writes a story about Peter. Peter doesn't write the words in the gospel that we're going to study. John writes it about him. So let's look at who Peter is a little bit. John knew him well. What is known about Peter is only from the New Testament. There's a few historical mentions that he was crucified by Nero in 64 A.D., uh, tradition says he was crucified upside down. There's no proof or historical record of that. He was from a small town in Galilee called Bethsaida. He was a fisherman, probably John, his father, was a fisherman as well, and who knows how many generations back. He was married. Likely he had children. He had a mother-in-law. We know that from Jesus' healing. His brother Andrew evangelized him. Andrew found John the Baptist and then found Jesus and went to Peter and brought him to the Lord. He was friends with James and John, the sons of Zebedee. They were likely neighbors and co-workers, maybe competition. He moved to Capernaum with Jesus, then to Jerusalem, where he became a leader of the first century church, and finally to Rome where he died. He called Rome Babylon. Largely uneducated, according to the Pharisees, who are these men that have never been schooled, never learned Greek. So his writings in the New Testament were likely written by other people or translated into Koine Greek. He obeyed the Jewish law without fail, according to Acts 10. He was impetuous, courageous, but vacillating constantly making commitments that he couldn't keep. He was the leader of the gang, the spokesperson, often mentioned first or even individually. He loved Jesus. You can tell by what he did and what he said. He's powerfully transformed by the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost to the point where he preaches and 3,000 people respond to his sermon in salvation. His shadow heals people in Acts. They lay people out on the street so that Peter can walk by and his shadow heals them when he has the Holy Spirit emanating out of his very body. He raises the dead. His word kills Ananias and Sapphira in a church service. He stands up to the religious leaders and is whipped for it. And finally, he's crucified for his faith. Do you love me? is Peter's second call. Remember when Jesus finds Peter on the shore? 
in the beginning of the Gospels, and he says, Peter, follow me. I want to make you a fisher of men. Leave your boat, leave your nets, leave your family, follow me. And he does for three and a half years. He follows him right into the Sanhedrin where Jesus is being judged and denies him three times. Then he follows him into the tomb. He's the first one to go in and see the empty tomb. Jesus had told them to go back to Galilee and wait for them. And they did. And in the beginning of John 21, we see seven disciples, these guys who had followed him, two of them unnamed, likely uh, some of the guys that are voted in in Acts 1 as apostles uh, replacing Judas are there. We don't know who those two are. They're home for the holidays in Galilee, old stomping grounds, 150 kilometers from Jerusalem. They're on the shore waiting for Jesus. And Peter says, I'm going fishing. And his friends say, we're going too. Probably they got into Peter's boat, the boat he had walked away from, returning to the status quo. They fish all night. I don't know if you've ever done that. I haven't. But I can imagine it was a sweaty job. There were mosquitoes. It was smelly in that boat. They were frustrated. They were tired. They likely prayed, Lord, we're your disciples. Here we are. Please help us catch some fish. And all night they caught nothing. They're still waiting for Jesus. Is that you? Sometimes that's me. I'd say most of the time. Lord, I'm here. I've asked. I'm waiting. I believe. Help, me, help my unbelief. They were waiting for Jesus. And it, the Bible says that at sunrise... Jesus was on the beach, and he called out to them, friends, do you have any fish? Kind of like saying, hey, I'm hungry, I want to have breakfast. And they say, no, we fished all night, we don't have anything. He says, well, try the other side. That was familiar, wasn't it? Repeat. This call is repeat, this visited is a, is a repeat. There's lots of overlap in this story. They throw the net on the other side, and they catch so many fish that the boat starts sinking again. And John looks at Peter and says, Deja vu! No, that's not what he says. He says, it's the Lord! Right? And Peter, who has stripped down to his loincloth to work, it's hot, it's sweaty, he's been working all night, he puts on his garment, and the commentaries say that was a gesture of Eastern Asian honor. How could I appear before the Lord without my full dress on? And he throws himself into the water. Good Peter style. Swims to the shore all by himself and meets the Lord while the others drag that huge net in. When he gets there, deja vu again. What is there? Are you, are you looking at your Bible? Don't let me say something that's not in there. A charcoal fire. Now, there are only two charcoal fires in the whole New Testament. What are they? This one and the one in the court of Pilate where J Jesus was being tried and Peter did what? Denied Jesus three times. And Peter looks at that charcoal fire and says, oh boy, I remember I remember, I think he looks at Jesus' face and remembers that look, remembers his shame, remembers his fall from 
what he had claimed so vociferously at the Last Supper. I won't forsake you. I'll die with you. And he's the only one who voices the doubt of all the followers of Jesus. I don't know the man. Even resorting to foul language, the Bible says. Three times he denies the Lord. And here he is with the Lord at a charcoal fire again. Here he is with the disciples breaking bread. There is bread and there are fish available whether or not they had caught any. Let that speak to your heart this morning, disciple of Jesus. Your works are not what you depend on. Jesus feeds you by his grace. We don't know where he got those fish. Maybe he just whistled and they jumped out of the water. We don't know where he got the bread. But he has what we need already if we will come to him. Peter comes. The disciples come. And they're fellowshipping around what I like to call the first breakfast. So you know the Last Supper. This is the first breakfast. This is the new order of things. This is the beginning of that rock cut out without human hands that has struck the mountain. And things are beginning to crumble. Because Jesus is now not only the Lord of heaven, but the Lord of hell, the Lord of death, the Lord of Satan, and Lord of lords. And so Jesus serves this breakfast. I hope every breakfast can be a reminder that Jesus is the Lord of breakfast and not just the Last Supper. Jesus had told them to wait for him. And here he was. Now Peter is tired, sweaty, dripping wet, smells like fish and muddy water. What a strange culto that is. What a strange church service. And yet all these sweaty seven guys sitting in the sand around a charcoal fire, burning their fingers on broiled fish, are saying, it really is him. He's alive and he's here with us in Galilee. And that's the context for the new day, the new call. And I want to pick this up at verse 15. If you have your Bibles open, John 21 Verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter. Now, Simon Peter is a way of saying the old and the new, right? Simon was his name in Galilee at Bethsaida on the beach. Peter is his name as the apostle. And John is indicating with this, and Jesus does it even more down the, down the verses a little bit. This is, this is a, a two-part story. There's a Simon, and there's a Peter. And this is where the, the two are changing more and more. And of course, they finally change at Pentecost uh, with no going back. But John, I believe, is sitting there listening. This is a public confrontation of Jesus with Peter at the fire. They've finished breakfast. So John has said, we're all done. We're all sitting there. We're all wondering what the next thing is going to be. We let Jesus take the lead, and this is what he does. He says, Peter. He looks to Peter. Son of John. Now there's almost, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, he doesn't say Peter. He says, Simon, son of John. That's looking back. So you've gone back to a fisherman, have you? You've slipped back into your old ways. Some of you college kids have come home and you've felt your mom sort of pushing you back into being your old 17-year-old self. And you're like, uh, Mom, you know, I've been doing this on my own for a while now. So easy for all of us. 
to push people into their status quo. It's so easy for us ourselves to go into the same old habits, to not remember that we are new creatures, that Jesus has renewed all things, and we can live his life and not our old crucified life. Simon, son of John. John was probably the guy that taught Peter how to fish. Do you love me? Now that word love is agapas from the, the word we know is agape. More than these. There's a lot of discussion about that word these. These who? These fish? Do you love me more than fish? Maybe. I think, and a lot of commentaries agree with me, he's talking about the rest of the disciples. See, the last time they were together at the Last Supper, Peter made a big statement that I'm not going to forsake you. I'm going to be crucified with you. I love you most. And then he fell the hardest, didn't he? And so Jesus is going back to that moment and saying, Peter, do you really love me more than these? Peter changes the word and he says, Yes, Lord, you know that I love filio, which is friendship. You know that I love you. You know that I'm your friend. How does Jesus know that? Well, he's omniscient, right? He knows everything. But I think Peter is saying, look what Look at all the things I've done. I'm the one that came to the fire in the courtyard. I'm the one who jumped out of the boat and swam to the shore because I love you. I do love you, and you know I love you. So why are you asking me? And then Jesus gives him the answer. And he says, feed my lambs. If you love me, since you love me, Show it by feeding my lambs. Now, what a healing thing for Jesus to do. Not to punish, not to call to repentance, but to say, here's your task. Here's your call. No longer fisher of men, but shepherd of my flock. In fact, head shepherd for many years. He's shifting the focus from evangelism to discipleship, from being a fisher of men to being a feeder of lambs. And he says to him a second time in verse 16, Simon, son of John, do you love agapas me? Now he's changed the question, hasn't he? How did he change it? There's no more more than these, right? He left off more than these. Okay, we're not comparing now. Let's see what kind of love this is. Is this God's love? Is this unconditional love? Is this agape love? Do you love me with that kind of love? And Peter says, answers again, Yes, Lord, you know that I love filio you. Now, I don't want to make too much out of these changes in Greek verbs. You can get into trouble if you try to do that, especially if you're not a Greek scholar like I'm not. I do think there's a progression why? Because then Peter says, yes, you know, I love you as your friend. You called me your friend. I'm your friend. I love you. And Jesus says what? He changes the, the command. Tend my sheep. Again, I'm not going to make some huge application, but there is progression. The lambs have grown up. When you feed lambs, they grow up. I watched that happen before my eyes. And then you tend them, you care for them, you watch over them. And that's what Jesus says is the direct result of love for him, the good shepherd. Tend my sheep. No, that's okay. Uh, we have a car that's blocking a driveway, and that tends to be a bad testimony. So 
It's a uh, white Toyota FTL OC15. FTL OC15 white Toyota. Uh, right out here, Douglas, on this street? Up uh, that way. Yeah. All right. So if that's your car, wait a second so nobody knows it's you and then get up and go out. <laughs> that's what I would do. So we're on the second question, verse 16. Jesus says, do you love me? Peter says, yes, I love you. And Jesus says, tend my sheep. They're going to grow. Tend them. Watch over them. Care for them. That's how you'll show me that you love me. See, in John 14, he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. This is my commandment. Love one another. That's basically all he's saying here. Do you love me? Okay, let's see. Do what I ask you to do. Tend my flock. Love my people. Think about somebody besides yourself. Verse 17, he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John. Now he changes the question again. You can't see it in English, but in Greek, he's now gone to the same verb that Peter uses, which is philio. Do you love me? And Peter was grieved. We don't know exactly why he was grieved, except that he's repeating this question over and over. Don't you believe me? I'm going to search my soul again. And he says, Jesus, you know everything. You know that I love Filio, you. I am your friend. I, I care for you. I'm attracted to you. I want to be with you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. One more time. The command is adjusted. So we started with feed my lambs, tend my sheep, now feed my sheep as an outworking of your love for me. And then he goes on to tell Peter how he's going to die. Truly I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry. By the way, Hosea didn't dress me back there. Carry you where you do not want to go. This he said, verse 19, to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. But then the last call is important. The end of verse 19 says, Jesus, after saying this, said to him, follow me. Now that follow me refers directly to verse 19, which is, here's how you're going to die. Just like I died. And it calls to mind for us, Ephesians 3.10, where Paul says, being conformed to Christ's death, becoming like him in his death, we can glorify God all the way to the grave by how we die. I remember when my mom died of cancer in 1997, and I got to go to the States. A dear friend from Calvary paid my tickets to go to the U.S. about a week or 10 days before my mom went to heaven. And I was sitting by her bed, and she was in and out of consciousness. And one of the times she was conscious, she looked at me and said, Have you ever heard a sermon on how a Christian dies? And I thought for a minute, and I said, No, I don't think I have. And she said, Neither have I. How is a Christian supposed to die? Now, we had asked for healing. We were believing for healing. Even then, we believed that God could touch her and raise her up. And yet my mom wanted to glorify God in her death. And I can tell you she did. After I left, my sister, Laurie, who was a nurse, was sitting by her bedside and she came out of consciousness at one point and said, can you hear the music? And Laurie didn't hear any music. But she did. And then she looked at Laurie and said, maybe this was another time. She said, the best part about being here is seeing you. And Laurie said, well, who am I? And she said, aren't you Jesus? And Laurie knew that one foot was in heaven and one foot was on earth. And she was going to see the Lord that she loved and served until the very end. 
Jesus says, follow me, Peter. Follow me out of fishing into shepherding, out of life into death, and on into life eternal. Let's move toward interpretation. And I want you to listen to this carefully. The true Christian life is not primarily about being a good person, going to a certain church, or even about knowing and obeying the Bible. Though no true Christian would neglect these things, the true Christian has been touched by the love and sacrifice of Jesus through the entrance of the Holy Spirit and so loves Him with all her or His heart, with all her soul, with all His mind, with all her strength. Not as an act of legalism, but as the only appropriate response to what Jesus has done. All the rest, obedience, evangelism, study and knowledge of the Bible, church participation, missions, everything follows from this. Whatever is done without love is empty. It's a noisy gong. And so, my friends, my fellow disciples of Jesus, let's get back to where we start, which is we love Him because He first loved us. Do you love Jesus this morning? If you don't, please don't pull on your bootstraps. You know that's to say? I'm talking about pulling up on your bootstraps to try to get yourself higher. It doesn't work. Legalism doesn't get you there. As you received Christ, so walk with him. Go back to the basics of Jesus and what he's done for you. Who are you? How are you here? How are you here at Calvary? How do you even believe in this unseen reality? It's because Jesus loves you and he's revealed himself to you at some level so that you will respond with the only appropriate thing. I love this guy. That's how Peter felt. He threw himself into the water because all he wanted to do was be close to Jesus. I hope that's how you felt when you woke up this morning on your way to church. Man. We get to go be with God's people. We get to sing before his throne. We get to hear his word and feed our faith and go away more like Jesus. All that matters is what comes up out of our souls in response to his love. I was reminded of the fiddler on the roof, actually. Remember that scene where Tevye and Golda are singing to each other all by themselves. They've been married for 25 years, and they're watching their daughters go into a new era of loving and marrying for love. If you haven't seen it, watch it. It's great. And old Tevia looks at his wife washing the clothes there, and he just belts out, Do you love me? Remember that? And she says, Do I what? Do you love me? Do I love you? For 25 years I've washed your clothes, cooked your food, made your bed. 25 years I've da-da-da. After 25 years, why talk about love right now? And they find out they do actually love each other. And it makes their hard life possible. I think that's what Jesus is doing to you this morning and to me. Do you love me? 
Don't do missions because you have to. Don't even love God because it's a command. Look to Jesus and see how much he loves you. There are fish and bread on the fire on the beach, and he's calling you to feed his lambs, to tend his flock, to feed those he loves. A few interpretation points. Status quo is, po- is powerful. You know, our profession can become our identity. Simon, son of John, means you, fisherman. You know yourself as the best fisherman in Bethsaida. Can you shift to be Pastor Peter, Apostle Peter? Can I, can you, be what God is making us to be too? Jesus pursued them, fulfilling his word. Wait for me in Galilee, I'm coming. See, he's coming to us too. He's coming to meet you where you are. He's coming to cover your sin. Wait for him. Don't try to clean yourself up. Just press in and say, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. He's coming. He fulfills his word. He loves to the end. And that love covers a multitude of sins. Three denials, three questions, three missions. Jesus loves Peter right out of his sin into mission. His love covers our sin. And then our love through him covers the sin of others. Those sheep he was going to tend would probably bite him. Those sheep were stinky. They weren't fun to be with all the time. Jesus had loved him and was calling him to love others with that same love. Christ's love constrains us, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.14, because true love is action. True love does. True love obeys. If you love Jesus, you will keep his commandments. And Paul says, we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who loved them and gave himself for them. He wants Peter to be like him. He'd called him to follow him three years before. And now Peter knew that continuing to follow Jesus would mean a certain cross. Keep on following me. Jesus wants his sheep to become like him. He progresses from feeding lambs to caring for sheep to feeding sheep. From agape to filio so that we can become more and more lovers like he is. Following Jesus means becoming a shepherd at some level. Now, I'm not talking about everybody being a pastor, although Peter in 1 Peter says a royal priesthood, every believer is in some sense a bridge between heaven and earth. But not every single one has the gift of pastoring. We need to find the right guy for our full-time pastor here at Calvary. I am saying that older brothers and older sisters take care of younger brothers and sisters. Husbands take care of wives. Wives take care of husbands. Friends call friends on their birthday. I missed one of my best friend's birthdays this week. Felt so bad about it. 
care for others. Shepherd, love, and don't seek to be loved. Serve, and don't seek to be served. See, in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, what did he see? He had compassion because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Boy, do we see that today. Harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. There are all these sheep and they don't have a shepherd. The laborers are few. What kind of laborer? Shepherd laborers. People that will tend and feed his flock. Will call them to himself and keep them safe from the enemy. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. He was calling Peter to a death like his own. What's he calling us to? I hope he's calling you this morning to his love. Jesus had shown Peter his love by the very fact of showing up on that beach, not abandoning Peter after his denials, by the fact of starting a fire and cooking breakfast, and then by the fact of coming to Peter and saying, Peter, do you love me? I want you to feed my lambs. I want you to tend my flock. I want you to figure out what it means to build my church. That's what I long for out of love for me. Peter is convicted and confronted by Jesus coming, his miraculous fishing, his breakfast, and his call and loving approach. See, my continual encounter with Jesus through His Word, through His Spirit, through you, His people, confronts me with my own sin more and more deeply in order to know more and more fully Jesus' love for me so that I can love and serve Him more. Jesus' love makes you like Himself. Jesus' love covers our sin. Jesus' love constrains our love. If you love little... Don't pull on your bootstrap. Go back to Jesus' love. What has Jesus done for you? We love because he first loved us. The commentator McLaren, the old Scottish Baptist of the 19th century, says, Jesus didn't ask Peter, are you sorry? Or will you promise never to do that again? Well, I've asked that question. Jesus challenged Peter to love He asks each one of us, not primarily for obedience, not for repentance, not for vows, not for conduct, but for our heart. And that being given, all the rest will follow. Give him your heart and you will be sorry. You won't do it again or you won't want to. Start with his call to love him because he first loved us. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. This is my commandment, that you love one another. And then finally, what we said before, love conforms. See, Romans 8.28 says, All things work together for good for those who love God. There's the love. And are called according to what? Say it. His purpose. Only one. What's the purpose? Next verse. Those he foreknew, he also predestined. 
they might be conformed to the image of his son. His purpose is to make you and me look, act, be like Jesus in everything, even the hard, especially the hard things. Make me like Jesus. Jesus is saying to Peter, do you love me? Be like me. Do you love me? Love my sheep because that's what I love. Feed them. Give your life for them. Be an under-shepherd. How do we do that? Just some ideas. Feed my lambs means tell your children, your grandchildren, any children, any young lambs, maybe they're 92, Bible stories. Teach them the Bible. Tell them what happened. It's the history of God's redemption. Teach them the Bible. Yesterday I was gathered with a couple of young theology students. And they were talking about how they didn't really learn anything from preaching anymore because they had studied theology. And I listened to that for a while and then I say, yes, but the Bible is living and active. And even if you know it better than the preacher, it can do its work in your soul as you open your heart in faith. And listen so that you'll be sanctified by the truth. Thy word is truth. It never returns void. Teach. Speak. Let the word of God increase in your conversations, in your texts, in your, even in your ideas. Loving grace feeds lambs. Loving grace that is not deserved. In the name of Jesus. Careful. Present examples of Christ-like living teaches, feeds the faith of lambs. Do you love me? Tend my sheep. How do you do that? Well, the word tend could mean rule, shepherd, watch over, guard, keep safe. I think primarily in prayer. Pray for each other. Do you know that the deacons pray for you every week by name? They send out a list to remind each other, pray for our flock. Pray for the people that God has given us to shepherd, to watch over in prayer. They know that the good shepherd is the only one who can truly do that. And they pray for you. Care. Watch. If somebody does something, did you guys see uh, that Susie Peck was appointed as the international women's coordinator of Radio Transmundial this week? It's on Facebook. Glory to God. Our sister's been honored for her faithful service and example. Let's celebrate that. Let's watch and rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Stand guard. Give generously. Serve and don't seek to be served. Lay down your life. That's how you shepherd God's flock. And then how do you feed sheep? Well, it's meat, not milk. It's a challenge to do more than just come to church. What are we going to do about the refugees sleeping at Guarulhos? That's a challenge for mature sheep to say, hey, what's God doing and how can we join him? I know I'm finishing. I'm the light of the world, says Jesus. And then he turns to his disciples and says, you are the light of the world. I'm the good shepherd, he says. And then in Peter, it says, you are under shepherds, under the head shepherd, the shepherds, like I am. As we look as Calvary, for elders and for a lead pastor. Let's look for people who love Jesus well by feeding, tending 
his flock. I want to conclude with two paintings by Rembrandt of the same biblical story. So this is The Prodigal Son by Rembrandt. Rembrandt's face is actually the prodigal himself. And that's his wife posing as a wild woman at a party sitting on his lap. That's Rembrandt and his wife. Self-portrait as a young man. He was repenting, wasn't he? he was identifying with the waywardness of the prodigal son. He was saying, I, I need the father's forgiveness. I need to come back over and over to the father's house. But when he was an old man, he painted another painting of the prodigal. This is called The Return of the Prodigal. And guess what? The father's face is Rembrandt himself. And Rembrandt is realizing, I've spent my life going back and forth from being the prodigal to being the Pharisee older brother to being the prodigal again who needs to repent. And what I need to do is become the father welcoming sinners home. Jesus wants you to be a shepherd. He wants you to become like him. Watch out for his flock. Care for his lambs, his sheep. Feed them the truth. Speak the truth in love and grow up into him who is the head. Follow Jesus. Do you love him? Is it a growing love? Feed his lambs. Care for his sheep. Feed his flock. Follow in Jesus' footsteps. Would you close your eyes with me? Let's stand up. In fact, getting ready and the worship team can come. And I'd just like to sing this little chorus with you. If you know it, sing out with me. I love you, Lord. Sing it to Jesus. And I lift my voice, lift your voice, to worship you, O my soul, rejoice. Take joy, take joy, my King. In what you hear, may it be a sweet, sweet 